Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning at First Church. To all those who are listening on the radio, welcome this morning. What a beautiful fall morning we've been given this morning by our Lord Jesus. Announcements this morning. The blue jug is still on the steps here in the front uh, to support the flooding victims. Donations assist the Salvation Army, who's already on the ground providing aid. The barrel in the Heritage Room will be uh, available till October 13th for uh, the one warm coat drive. If you have any coats you want to donate, clean or use, new used coats are welcome. There are still sermon series booklets at the entrances if you'd like to grab one and haven't got one yet uh, to help follow along with the sermon series. Uh, still in need of a few volunteers for the nursery for the remainder of the year. Uh, one Sunday would be very appreciated if, if you can do that and cover one Sunday. The clipboard is up in the front pew if you could sign up. One other thing to add to the concerns list is uh, this past week, a uh, farm accident near Sydney uh, has injured a farmer named Kenton Anderson. So please keep him in your prayer. He had a, a combine fire. So uh, we want to add that. And if you would now stand, we'll begin our worship. The reading is from the Second Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now we will continue our worship with our first song.
now while we ask the children to come forward for children's chat with Carolyn Lammers, we'd ask you to spend some time and greet your neighbors. How are you this morning? I saw frost outside this morning. Yes, I did. Are we ready for that? Sure, sure we are. What does making a promise mean? Any of you know what a promise is? Make a promise not to tell? Well, <clears throat> that wasn't in my lesson plan, but <laughs> sometimes we need to tell if it's going to hurt somebody else. But to make a promise says that we're not, you know, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. What happens if I break my promise? What does that mean? It means I didn't do what I said I was going to promise to do, doesn't it? Well, another word for a promise or an agreement like that is called a covenant. And we're going to talk about that. And that's agreements and promises God's made with his people. Now, can you think of any promises God's made? Because he always keeps them. Never to flood the earth again. Guess what I got to see yesterday? I got to see the ark in, in Kentucky yesterday. The one that Noah, you know, replica of what Noah did. Well, how did Noah say he wasn't going to do that anymore? What did he? Hmm? At the doctor? No. Where? What's in the sky that tells us? It's a reminder. That God is not going to flood the earth again or destroy it by, destroy the earth by flood. Rainbow. Rainbow. Exactly. What other promises did God make? Did he promise to send a Savior? Did he promise to send Jesus? Did he keep his promise? Yes, he did. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen tomorrow and it doesn't happen next week. And Abraham, who you're going to hear about today, God made a lot of promises to him. And they happened over a lot of years. They didn't happen all at once. He promised that he was going to give him new land to live in. And did Abraham, you know, believe him? Yes, he did. He had faith in God and he trusted him. So he picked up everything and moved. Didn't know where he was going. Picked up all of his sheep and his cattle and all of his servants and his whole family, and he just moved. If dad and mom came home and said, we're going to move tomorrow, we don't know where, how would you feel? That would be a little scary? Yeah, it would. Well, then Abraham also promised that he was going to have a son. And he was going to have a lot of, lot of family. And he told Abraham, you go out and look at the stars. Can you count all the stars? No, you can't count all the stars. But that's how many family Abraham was going to have that God was going to give him. And did that happen? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And he also promised to protect Abraham. And did that happen? Yes, it did. So the one person... You can always count on keeping his promises as God. Let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to know all about your promises and learn to show them to other people that your love exists and we can always trust on you to keep your promises. Help us to keep our promises. Sometimes we can't always do that, but we will try our best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. As the children are heading back to their seats, I want to invite the German mission trip team forward. Um, we're going to take a few moments before we pray this morning and, and share with you about our experience on that trip. Um, there were nine of us in total that <laughs> there were nine of us in total that, that went to Germany and, and got to work at the 3C project. And, and we're going to take a few moments here during the service to just share with you about, about what we learned, what we saw and what we experienced, um, and, and especially how we saw God moving uh, during that time. So um, 
Got a nice group here. Uh, I'm going to just invite us all to, to start. I can start at this end. It doesn't really matter. And if you want to share something, come on up and, and we'll just use the pulpit mic. And if you don't want to share anything, just elbow your neighbor and, and then the next person can go. So, um, And then I'll just close us in prayer when we're done. So, Good morning. It was a wonderful week. Um, we, from the time that we arrived in Kuzel, uh, it was maybe 30 minutes, and we had the opportunity to witness five Muslims who converted to Christianity through baptism. It was just, just an awesome experience there. And all the different projects that we worked on through the week, we tackled many, and we accomplished quite a few of them. Um, and that was uh, very uplifting. And then um, on our way home, we had a, a stewardess on our flight from Philadelphia to Dayton. And uh, she was really hurting. And we had the opportunity that she came and she knelt between our seats in the airplane. And we laid our hands on her and we prayed with her. And uh, it, was, it was quite the moving week all the way around. And I do appreciate the opportunity to have gone. I, too, would like to say thank you to the church for giving me the opportunity to go. Um, I think one of the things that moved me the most about the entire experience is we, we kind of left as acquaintances, and when we came home, we were like family. Um, we lived under one roof. We ate all our meals together. We prayed together. Um, we would split and go work on certain projects as, as, uh, as we, they wished we would do, but we would always come back together. And then, um, you know, after supper, there was always free time, and it was kind of a rainy week, so we didn't get to go out a lot, you know, to walk or anything like that uh, several evenings. So we kind of all ended up down at the main room, and we'd all play cards. And there was an intern there from um, Indiana. His name was Ben, and he told me, he said, we were the most together work group he had ever witnessed. And I asked him what he meant by that, and he said, well, you know, usually the work groups come and and they all kind of do their own thing, and like even in the evenings when they break up, you know, some go read, some go to bed early, some, you know, some go uh, read their Bibles, some go for a walk. He says, you guys are just all together. He says, you're just like family. And that's, that's kind of the way I felt about everybody, too. I think we were just kind of an extension of First Church, kind of all like family. You know, since Gary and, and my husband and my son went last year, I really thought I had a solid fix on what to expect and, and what it was going to be like to be there. Um, hearing stories and seeing pictures really didn't convey what it's like to be there. Um, and, and, and a short presentation isn't going to give you an idea either. You know, there were a couple of things that impacted me was, you know, um, the baptisms, the work that's done there. You know, we take up money for missionaries so many of these Sundays that we sit here and we don't often think about where that money goes and what it does. And during that week, we got to see firsthand um, that that money doesn't go to waste, that they are using all of that to carry God's word to, to the people there. And, you know, it may not, they may not be out, um, you know, physically sharing the gospel with every single person, but the work that we did there helps Pastor Michael do that work. So, um, another really cool thing that I got to see was there was a Bible written there. Uh, uh, Pastor Michael does Bible studies with the missionaries, and or not the missionaries, the the refugees. Thank you. And we picked it up, and and it was written in what I thought was Arabic. He later told me it was written in Farsi, you know. And it was just like, wow, God's word in another language. I mean, I realize technically ours is written in another language because it's not Hebrew, but. <laughs> It just affected me. I think of things like Wycliffe that we support, you know, and to pick up God's word and to see it in another language and to watch a pastor use it to share a Bible study with some former Muslims made a big impact on me. So, I would also like to thank the church for the opportunity to go. Um, I feel beyond blessed that my husband and I were able to go and that our family was able to take care of our children. But the biggest, um, the whole trip was amazing, but the biggest impact on um, myself was Brad and I got the opportunity to go to a refugee camp. And he actually played soccer, and I was sitting there watching, and everybody kept coming up to me and just kind of looking at me and giving me their cell phones, which was weird. But <laughs> they trusted me. I looked trustworthy. Yeah. And... Um, this guy came up to me, and a lot of the refugees don't speak German. It's a little more difficult for them, but they do speak a little bit of broken English. 
And he's like, your name? And I was like, Krista. And he's like, oh, Christian. And I'm like, no, Krista. And he's like, you know God. And I, like, that to me was so beyond. And like all week, that was the first first day we were there. And all week I just kept humming that um, they will know our, know that we are Christians by our love. And I just kept humming that. And that has come full circle with me every day. Like I am reminded that, yes, we are all brothers and sisters, but just to show everybody that love. So even when I'm in this country, someone will know that I'm a Christian. Uh Following suit, I want to thank the church for allowing Krista and I and all of us to go. Um, the thing that stood out the most to me was, again, the baptism, which happened in the first two minutes that we were there. We rushed off the plane to the train, back to the church, and we got to witness five Muslims really denounce their Muslim faith in front of everybody and accept Christ as their Savior. And... Just to be able to witness firsthand uh, God's kingdom grow by five people that day, is it was something to experience. And I was, uh, to me, reinforce the idea why nine people from a small town in Ohio flew all the way over to Germany, um, really to do that, just that, to, to spread God's kingdom. And I don't know, it was a blessing to see in the whole week. Uh, I just remembered those refugees standing up there and and the emotion that they had um, just will always stick with me. So that, to me, was probably the most impactful thing. Since Sharon and I were already in the area visiting the town where Sharon had been an exchange student in 1979, the McLeans picked us up on Saturday night so we were able to attend Sunday morning church to hear some of the same contemporary worship songs that we sing and to hear the five adult baptismal testimonies at the church before the other seven arrived in time for baptism at the project. Each person spoke their native tongue, and Kia interpreted into English, and then Pastor Michael translated from English into German. How humbling it it was to see people give their testimony that they would leave their country, their home, their faith, to seek God, that they had a real hunger and thirst to follow God, and also that the interns, Teddy, Ben, and Rich, put their personal lives and desires on hold to do what God would have them to do. And like Krista said, all week long I kept humming the song that I had that we had sang in church on Sunday morning, and um, along with the children's chat message, I think five days that we were in Germany we saw rainbows, and the day that we came back we saw one when we were in Salina, so that was awesome too. I was compelled to leave the room during Thursday dinner to take five, if you will to pray for and intercede on behalf of the Muslim woman and her husband, of whom I had asked Kia, the Muslim interpreter, the special occasion they were dining with us. She had been the first of the five Sunday baptisms, the woman with whom I had connected, who had had to do it all, raising her children while he was in the military, the woman that, through God's love, I had felt compelled to hug after hearing her testimony of hearing how After seeing four specialists to cure her cancer, her friend had suggested that she pray, and she was cured a month after praying. This, the couple, who unbeknownst to us at the time, was the couple of whom Pastor Michael had talked of facing deportation, the reason they were with us. It didn't work out for me after dinner to give them the two wooden crosses that I had brought along since everyone had left when I got back to the church from the project where the crosses were in my room. I had brought the crosses to Germany, not knowing their purpose. And I ended up bringing them back. Now is my reminder that half a world away, I have a sister in Christ who we found out the next day for at least three more weeks with her husband is able or was able to stay in the refugee camp while God works to soften the heart of the secular German 
government deportation official because I prayed and I'm changed. We all are. taking the time today to, to share a little bit about the trip. Um, it was just an amazing experience, and, and I wish you all could have, could have been there. You know, the, the few minutes we had this morning really don't do it justice, but um, I, I encourage you to take time and ask any one of these people to, to share a story or two, and I'm sure they will have more than you're ready to hear probably. Uh, talk your ear off about it because there was just so much that we experienced and we saw. Uh, one of the uh, amazing things that, that I remember from the trip something that really stuck with me there were lots of it i got to spend lots of time with pastor michael and and talking with him about ministry in a different context that i I learned a lot and and learned about the challenges and the frustrations of of trying to minister in in a post-christian society like germany Uh, but one of the things that really stuck out with me was again that that worship service that we were able to attend the morning we got there And, and the baptisms were amazing but as part of that service just like we do here they read the apostles creed as a statement of faith that they share together and and it was unlike anything i'd seen before because they projected the words in german and in farsi on the wall and and they read it simultaneously um and then I was trying to say it in English along with that, but it was really hard to do, um, <laughs> trying to say the English alongside the German and the, and the Farsi. But so about partway through, I just stopped trying to say it and just listened and heard, you know, that, that statement of faith that we as Christians share, um, it transcends languages, right? It transcends cultures. It's, it's something that binds us all together as Christians. And, and to be able to, to see and witness people of different, of, of different ethnic origins, different um, geographic origins coming together and, and speaking that same creed and, and making it a statement of faith together, no matter what language they spoke, was just really impactful. It just was a reminder, just like the whole week, that God's kingdom is bigger than just New Knoxville, that there's more, that God is at work and God is moving all over this world. And, and that was just a small little picture of that in action. Um, let me pray for us, uh, pray for our needs this morning, as well as, as well as the ministry in Germany, and, and um, then you guys can all sit down. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share a little bit about, uh, about what we experienced and what we saw while we were in Germany. Uh, thank you for the work that we were able to get done, that despite the rainy weather and, and those circumstances, Lord, we were still able to, to help in different ways and, and help, Lord, within the project itself, within the building itself. Um, thank you for Pastor Michael and his ministry there in Kusel and pray that you continue to provide for them and bless them. And I pray, Lord, that as they uh, continue to work, continue to reach in their, out into their community and reach to these refugees that are in the area, I pray that you would bless them and bring them much fruit to their ministry. I, Lord, Lord we, we also remember those in our own community who are in need. We pray that you would meet their needs. Uh, we pray that you would, you would bless them, Lord, um, and that you would uh, inspire us, Lord, who have been blessed, to, to be a blessing to them as well. And, and, and Lord, and encourage us and inspire us to help in ways that we can help, Lord. Um, we, we pray, Lord, all these things in the name of your Son who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, as you guys are finding your seat and the choir is getting prepared to offer special music, I invite our ushers, or excuse me, uh, the, those that are helping with communion. Man, I got a lot going on in my brain right now. Those who are helping with the offering, let's not get ahead of ourselves, with the offering to come forward at this time. Uh, and, and thank you.
Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and then said to him, he said, look at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions." You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites. Please turn in your hymnals to number 42, Seek Ye First.
may be seated. Father, thank you for this wonderful day. I pray now as we turn to your word and, and, and study it for ourselves, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. Give me words to speak this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. One of the joys of having children as a preacher is they give you lots and lots of stories to share with the church. And I just hope that as Josephine gets older and she realizes what's happening, she doesn't mind that. Um, but the other day I was, I was driving in the car with her and, and we were having this conversation because she was having trouble taking naps at her babysitter's house. And so as any of you with, uh, that are parents of young children or have been through that before, no nap during the day means a pretty rough night at home, right? Um, they're a little cranky and don't always want to cooperate. And so I was having this talk with Josephine and I said, all right, I want you to pinky promise me that you're going to take a nap. And of course, she had no idea what I was talking about. So I, I told her, I said, all right, stick out your pinky. And she kind of gives me this little weird hand because she couldn't figure out how to do it. And so I told her, I said, a pinky promise is a really special promise. It means that, that if you promise to do something, a pinky promise, that you're not supposed to break it. You have to do what you say you're going to do. And so I got her, I kind of helped her to get her pinky worked out of her, out of her fist there, and we made a pinky promise together that she was going to take a nap. It worked for a day or two, but, um, the point, the, but, but the point is, you know, a, a pinky promise is something special, right? It's something that goes above and beyond just, just saying you're going to do something. If you pinky promise someone, it means that you're for real and that you're going to take that seriously. And so what we see here in this passage today is, is not a pinky promise, but we get this idea of a covenant. And it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. And, and as Carolyn pointed out in our, in our children's chat, it's first mentioned in the Bible in the story of Noah and the, and the promise that God makes to Noah and all of creation that he will no longer destroy the world with a flood. And so that's the first mention of, of a covenant in the Bible, but it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. A covenant is, it's like I said, it's more than just a, a normal promise. Um, it's really more than a contract or like a business contract if you think about it. A commitment is, is a responsibility and action. Um, but it's one, it's, it's one that initiates and emphasizes familial bonds too. It's, it's more than just business partners. When you enter a, cov- a covenant with someone, there's a relationship that, that is either beginning or, or is being enforced by that commitment that you're making to each other. You may come to the table as, as acquaintances, but by making a covenant, you become almost like family. And so it's more than just a promise. It's more than just a business contract. It's this, it's this framework of trust and responsibility and also ultimately benefits for those who stick with the covenant. And so there's different ways to look at covenants. There's, there's covenants of between equal parties, and you see uh, testimony to that in like Genesis 21 where Abraham makes a covenant with another king, Abimelech, and there's this covenant that they will, they will treat each other well, and they will, uh, it's an agreement on how the land and the wells will be used to, to support their, their peoples. Um, so there's these covenants between equal parties where both gain something through the, through the agreement. But then probably more often what we see is... is what can be called a unilateral covenant, a covenant that is between a greater party and a lesser party. And you see this, you see testimonies of this in Scripture when um, between uh, greater kingdoms and, and lower kingdoms. So when the Babylonians and the Syrians come and take over, there's, there's covenants that are made and the, the greater power tells the lesser power what to do, right? There's not a whole lot of negotiation or, 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 or talks between the parties. The, the greater party says, this is what's going to happen and you're going to obey me if you want to continue to live in this land or if you want to continue to live at all, right? And so you see, you see contracts or, excuse me, covenants like that throughout history as well. They're attested to outside of the Bible. And this, this, con, this covenant that, that God makes with Abraham is kind of like that unilateral covenant. There is a greater power who is God, obviously, who is making an agreement, making a covenant and promises to Abram and his family. Abram's not exactly in a position to negotiate, right? He has no ground to stand on when it comes from that perspective. And so it's God who establishes the covenant. It's God who sets the parameters and confirms it. It's all God's doing from beginning to end. The human side, whether it's Aram and his family or his descendants or us today as recipients of these covenants, we are, we are merely recipients. We're not contributors. Right? We receive the promises that God has made to us. We don't come to, a, come to the table ready to negotiate, but we receive the promises that God has made to his people. 
a modern equivalent to, to this idea of covenant, something that, that you can probably all uh, maybe better understand is the, the idea of a marriage covenant. A marriage covenant is two parties, of course, equal parties in that case, coming together and making promises or for poor in sickness and in health. Because the commitment that they're making to each other is, is something greater than just a promise to hold up your end of the bargain. It's a promise to live out the commitment and live out the promises no matter what comes your way. And so marriage is something is, is more along the lines of, of covenant. And I think if we think about marriage in those terms, and not only does it give marriage a, in that relationship a much richer meaning, but it helps us to understand the kind of commitment that God has made to us through Abraham and then more specifically through Jesus Christ. And so there's four covenants that are specifically mentioned uh, in the Old Testament. As I, as I already said, the first one is with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. And then we have this covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 15. Probably the most, <clears throat> excuse me, the most well-known of these covenants is the covenant God makes with Israel at Mount Sinai. And, and that's described in, in the book of Exodus and, and so on, where, where Moses receives the law and, and the covenant from the Lord and, and, and communicates that to the people. And then the fourth one is the is the covenant that God makes with David in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises that one of David's descendants will, will be on the throne of Israel forever. This promise that God will establish his kingdom and that it will have no end. And so this idea of covenants runs throughout the Old Testament, and, and, and we see a little picture of it here. And so um, in order to understand the, the commitment and the promise that God is making to Abraham in Genesis 15, it's good to have an understanding that that covenant is something is a way that God communicates to his people. And throughout Scripture, God uses covenants to, uh, to, to reveal himself to his people. And so, so God, by making these promises, he's, he's giving us a glimpse into what he's really like. In the, in the compassion and the care and the love and the holiness and the justice and the mercy of God is, is revealed in these things. And so again, the, the most famous of the covenants, the most well known is the covenant at Mount Sinai and the law that was given. And the law is not meant for us to uphold every single letter of it in order to earn our righteousness. You know, we, we get trapped in this sort of legalism if we think that, that the law was meant and was given in order to save us, that somehow we could live it out perfectly and earn God's favor and love. It's better to think of the covenant as a way that God reveals himself and has made himself known. And he puts his, his holiness and his justice as well as his love and his compassion on display through the law so that we can see and know what God is really like and then ultimately see how it is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that, that's the kind of framework that God is working with here with Abraham. And so there's a couple things I want to point out to you uh, in this passage, things that I think we can learn by, by, by observing Abram and, and God's, uh, God's promises to him here. First of all, is the, the kind of faith that Abraham has is, is a faith that we should try to, to attain. You see, faith for Abram was more than just believing with the absence of doubt, but it was believing in spite of his doubts. Notice here that as, that as God speaks to him again, he's, he's reaffirming the, the fact that God, he says, I, don't be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. It's this reminder of these promises that were made years and years ago to Abram um, in Genesis chapter 12. And, and, and Abram's reaction is, is, is what we would call doubt or questions, right? Abram says, how is this possible? You promised to make me a great nation, and yet here I am childless. Is this servant going to be the heir to, to this promise? Right? He has these doubts and these questions for God. And then, and then later on in the chapter, he says, how, am I, how can I be sure that you're going to give me this land? How can I know that you're going to follow through? So notice that Abram's relationship with God was not absent of doubt. We think of Abram as this great man of faith, but that doesn't mean he didn't struggle with those same things that we often struggle with too. How many of us have questions? How many of us have doubts about our relationship with God or, or even doubts about, about the promises of God we read in Scripture and whether or not He'll really follow through? Right? We do. I, I've struggled with that. If we're honest with ourselves, we all struggle with it at times. We struggle with doubt. But, but the example that Abraham gives for us is that, that there's room for questions, there's room for doubt. But notice, what, what does he do with his doubt? He brings it to the Lord. 
He doesn't turn us back on God, but he brings those questions directly to the source. See, faith is is believing in spite of doubts. It's not the absence of doubt. And every time Abram had a question, God provided affirmation. God didn't rebuke him. He provided exactly what Abraham needed to continue to trust in the promises of God. He takes him out and has him look at the stars and say, see see if you can count count all the stars in the sky because that's how many children you are going to have. That's how many descendants you will have. And then he performs this, this covenant ceremony later in the chapter to confirm the promise that God had made about the land. And so God gave him, God gave him that assurance. He gave him exactly what Abram needed in the moment to continue to trust. He didn't give him all the answers. He didn't tell him that, all right, 23 years from now, you're going to have a child. You know, he didn't get, he didn't spell that out for him. He gave him a little bit more information about the land, but, but God didn't spell it out exactly how it was all going to work. He just said, trust me, trust in my promises. In verse 6, we get this amazing statement. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, that, that belief that Abram put on display was more than just intellectual knowledge. It was more than just knowing certain facts about God, but it was that willing trust, that, that faith that, that even in spite of, of all external clues, God was going to come through on his promises. I've entitled this, this sermon series, Trust the Impossible, because that's exactly what God was asking Abram to do. He was this old guy who was childless. His wife was beyond childbearing years, right? And yet God had promised them a son, a son that would, that would carry on that promise. And so from Abram's perspective, it must have been impossible for God to do that. But yet he trusted. He believed that God could come through. And, and it says that God credited to him his righteousness. Righteousness and, and the fact that God would continue to bless him and, and show him his favor, not only in Abram's life, but in the generations to come. Abram didn't earn God's blessing on his own accord. Abram made plenty of mistakes already, and he's going to make some more throughout the course of his life that we see recorded in Scripture. But Abram was declared righteous because he trusted in God's promise. It was his decision to put his faith in the Lord that made all the difference. In the same way, we are declared righteous before God when we put our faith and our trust in Christ as Savior. We don't earn it by ourselves. It's not our own righteousness, or it's not because of anything we've done. It's the grace of God received by faith. And we're not righteous because, in God's eyes because, excuse me, we are righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done for us, not because of what we can do for ourselves. That's the heart of the gospel. And that's the lesson that we can earn from Abram's response to the Lord here in this passage. It's also important to notice the time frame of, of, of God's fulfillment here. Right? God's faithfulness is for the long haul. We, we expect to be instantly gratified in our culture, right? We expect everything to happen in the moment. We pray for something and we want God to answer it right then and right there. But the testimony of Scripture and, and the testimony of the church right throughout history is that God doesn't work on our time frame but we need to allow him to work on his. And so we see two examples here. He promises, right, that, that Abram will have a son. So obviously that's going to be fulfilled in his lifetime. So sometimes, sometimes God answered a prayer is something that we will be able to experience and see within our own, within our own lifetime. Right? Abram will have a child. He will experience that and he will see the fulfillment of that promise. But in the second case, he says it's going to be 400 years at least. There's going to be generations that are going to pass before, before your descendants finally take hold of the land like I promised you. And so that was a promise that, wasn't, that Abram wasn't going to experience right then and right there. That was something he had to, to look and, and, and know and, and understand the time frame from the perspective of eternity and not just his own limited view of things. And in the same way, God often will answer our prayers or, or we look at the promises of God and we may not always understand or see them fulfilled in the moment or when we want them to, but we need to trust that God is active and he is working and he will remain faithful to his promises. We just might not see it in our lifetime. We might not see it in the time frame that we expect it to be done. I love this, this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It's a part of a short little poem or hymn uh, that Paul writes about, about the Lord. But he says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I love that because I know there are times where I'm not faithful right, to God. 
We all sin. We all fall short of, of God's expectations for us. And so while we are faithless at times, God remains faithful and he will uphold his end of the bargain no matter what. We tend to be leaky people. We easily and quickly forget all that God has done for us. And so we need to be reminded again and again throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when God interacts with his people, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I brought you out of the land of slavery. Remember what I did for you in the past. And he, it's like God has, it's like that teacher in school that needs to reinforce and reinforce and reinforce the lesson because we often forget. We need to be reminded of the ways that God has worked in the past and, and remembering these covenants and re, looking back at these promises are ways for us to do that. The stars in the sky and the ceremony that God walks Abraham through are reminders of God's faithfulness and his promises. And that brings us finally then to the actual, the covenant that God makes with Abram. And, and this, it's an interesting scene. You may look at this and think, what in the world is going on here, right? right? God instructs Abram to take these animals and, and, in a sense, sacrifice them, right? Split them in half and, and create this aisle for him to walk through, right? And this is actually a pretty common way to, to sign treaties, right? Uh, there wasn't necessarily contracts that were written up and you signed on the dotted line. There were things that you did in order to reinforce your commitment to it. And so this is a pretty common one. You'd, you'd have this aisle, that you'd create with these animals. And what, what the two sides of the party would do is they would walk down the middle of the aisle as a way for them to commit to the covenant. And what they were doing by passing through it was, was in essence saying, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, let me become like these animals. Let me become like one of these animals that was slain and had lost its life. And so you're, you're in essence kind of calling a curse on yourself if you don't uphold your end of the bargain. And so what would happen, especially in a treaty like this, where there was a greater power and a lesser power, the expectation was that the lesser of the two would walk through there. And that they would be pledging their loyalty and their commitment to this covenant towards that other person. But an interesting thing happens, right? God tells Abraham to prepare all of this stuff, and then he puts Abraham in this deep sleep. And it's God himself represented by this smoking fire pot and this torch that goes through there. And so what God is doing is saying, he's saying, listen, I know you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain. I know you can't live this out. And, and we see the testimony of Abraham's life, and we just have to look at the testimony of our own to understand the truth of that, right? And so God says, I am going to promise to uphold my end of the bargain no matter what. I'm going to commit to this covenant. And that's exactly what God did. And the prophets began to talk about this new covenant. This new covenant where God would no longer, the law and, and all of God's promises and all that God has done would no longer be this external thing, but would be an internal matter of the heart. And then in the New Testament, we see ultimately that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant for us. That although throughout those covenants in, in this Old Testament, we did not uphold our end of the bargain, God himself came in the person of Jesus in order to do it for us. He lived a life we couldn't live. He, he perfectly obeyed the rules and the laws of the covenant that, that put God's character on display, but then he also took the curse upon himself. Just as God walked in between those animals and, and promised to take the curse of, the, of, the, of that covenant upon himself, he did that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he died in order to, to be the fulfillment of that covenant. That's why our, our call to worship talked about how, how Jesus is the yes and the amen to all the promises that God has made to us. And that's only possible because of what he had taken upon himself. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the covenant and he took the curse upon himself so that we could experience the blessings. And communion is a reminder of that. Communion is, is the reminder of that new covenant, that it was his body that was broken, it was his blood that was shed, so that our sins could be forgiven. It was the promise that although we fall short, God promises his grace and his mercy and his love to his people, as long as we, like Abraham, put our trust in the Lord and respond to God's promises with our faithfulness. Not that we could earn it ourselves, but so that God could bestow his grace on us through what Jesus Christ has done. And so as we take communion, we're reminded of that. We're reminded of the ways we fall short. We're reminded of the, of the way that, that we have often failed to live up to those expectations. But we're also reminded that Christ 
through his sacrifice and his death on the cross, made that possible for us. And that we can receive the blessings and receive the righteousness that we did not deserve. Um, I know we're running a few minutes short. And so what I would like to do is I'd like to just pray for a moment. And if it's okay with Sharon, we're going to skip that last song and just go right into communion time. So I'm going to pray for us and and prepare our hearts for communion. And then I'll I'll ask those that are helping to, to come forward at that time. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you this morning and for this opportunity to, to be reminded of the new covenant you've made with us. Lord, that even though we fall short, even though we make mistakes, uh, Lord, you have upheld your end of the bargain and you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death we deserve so that we could receive those blessings. As we take communion this morning, help us to remember the ways that we've fallen short and give those things to you, confess those to you, And also, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to live lives that are worthy of you this day forward. In Christ we pray. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you and for all. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you and for all. A new covenant made in his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this reminder of of all that you've done for us. And that though we fall short, Lord, you have the great promise in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that as we go from this place, you would, you would, by your spirit, equip us and encourage us to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. In Christ we pray. Amen. Go in peace.